Hey everyone, I need your attention for one minute. This is not one of those ads. This is something that has changed my entire life. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that this is all about personal development as the foundation for everything good in your life. And this podcast is now sponsored by Growth Day, which is the world's first all-in-one personal development app. I mean, oh my gosh, can you imagine having everything all in one place that you need to create the life that you want? Now you can. So if you've been struggling with your motivation, your mood, your productivity, or your purpose, you have to check this out. Growth Day helps you consciously change your life and achieve your potential. It has all the self-improvement tools, motivational classes, and life coaching all in one place. So many of us want to improve our lives, but the question is how? Where do we start? What do we use? How do you get unstuck? How do you make self-improvement stick? Well, research shows how. It's when you consistently journal, track your habits, set goals, learn from empowering mentors, and challenge yourself that you'll be happier, healthier, and more successful. But let me ask you something. Where do you actually do all of your personal development work? I have to tell you that over 300,000 people use Growth Day for a reason. It works. It's the world's number one software for self-improvement. Growth Day has an amazing mindset journal that I absolutely love, a habit tracker, and a goal-setting system. In fact, I bet if you went to my stories this week, you probably saw me using the journaling app and telling you to do it too, because it's the first time that journaling has ever actually stuck consistently in my life because of this app. And best of all, Growth Day has live inspirational classes every single week from the world's top motivational speakers and life coaches. These are people who have impacted my life in huge ways. These are mentors who I already knew and loved. In fact, this is something that's so huge for me, you guys. I personally teach a class in Growth Day every single month, and it is one of the most fun things that I get to do, and I'd love to see you there. These classes will truly shift your life. There's always something new that you will learn. So join me in 300,000 Achievers Growing Our Lives with actual real intention. Visit growthday.com slash Lori for a free trial. Yes, you can try this for free. So go to growthday.com slash Lori and go live your best life. You guys, that's growthday.com forward slash Lori. And I can't wait to see you there. Welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome. 
Welcome back to the Earn Your Happy Podcast, and I'm so excited for you to meet my guest today, Adam Carroll. I actually met him at a Train the Trainer program that I was enrolled in with Jack Canfield. So he and I probably spent about three weeks of some serious uh, discomfort, growth time, amazing experiences, the whole range, you guys, the whole range um, in this training program. So he is a beautiful human being. And the second that he spoke, I just knew that he was up to massive things. And the last few years have been really, really incredible to watch his journey. And I know that you're going to be so excited by what he does in the world. He's an internationally recognized speaker and thought leader in the field of financial education. He's presented at over 600 colleges and university campuses. Uh, He has done hundreds of leadership symposiums and countless local and regional events. Adam's TEDx talk at the London Business School has been viewed over half a million times on YouTube and his work in financial education led to the crowdfunding and release of the student loan documentary Broke, Busted, and Disgusted, which is coming out on Netflix this December. He's the author of Winning the Money Game and the Money Savvy Student and the founder founder of MoneySavvy.com. You guys, even if this is not a hot topic for you, or if it is, this podcast rocked my world. Everybody needs to listen to this and everybody should click the share button immediately after because it's something that affects all of us, our entire life, our children. And it's so important to create the conversation and the education around what Adam is about to share. So you guys, let's get started. Adam, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Lori, thanks for having me on Earn Your Happy. I'm so excited to be with you. Ah, I love that you're here because we uh, kind of have an awesome past together. We met at Jack Canfield's Train the Trainer and immediately you are just such a captivating speaker and you're so passionate about what you do that everyone was drawn to you and clearly you're incredibly successful and you're doing amazing things in the world. So for people who don't know who you are, can you give us a little bit of background on your story and how you started doing what you do. I'm just a boy. I'm just a boy, Lori. <laughs> just a boy looking for uh, a girl, you know. No, just, I um, you know, I got out of college uh several years ago and I was a debt statistic. I graduated uh with a, you know, fairly significant amount of debt. I had lived like a rich college kid as most college kids do today and um realized the error of my ways when I became a broke professional. And I, I, luckily for me, I met a woman my senior year in college who gave me some great advice and she told me, get rid of your debt or I'm going to get rid of you. Mm. And so I married her and we've been <laughs> married because <laughs> that's what you do. And we've been married for 17 years this year. And, um, we, we went on this path where we blasted away all of our debt in the first two years of our marriage. And then we lived that way ever since. And what, while we were going through the process, I was thinking and talking out loud about, you know, why, why don't people teach this? How come more people don't know what we're doing? And it just seemed like what we were doing was very simple. We lived on one income and we used the other income to blast away all of our debt. And yet many of our friends thought we were living some, you know, some crazy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, I started teaching that methodology or that framework and wrote a book called winning the money game started delivering programs on college campuses that led into a documentary film 
on student loan debt, which we just sold to CNBC. And I just wrote another book called The Money Savvy Student. And I'm now developing a program called Raising Money Savvy Kids, because I think the issue is we're not starting people early enough in the, uh, you know, in the war on financial education or the war against debt, I guess. Mm. So why is that so important to you? Like, why has this become something that is just your number one thing? Well, you know, interestingly, it, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. And one of the things you talk about in your intro is being a lifestyle entrepreneur. Mm. And I love that concept when Tim Ferriss sort of brought about the whole idea of lifestyle design. I never really understood it when I was younger, but I knew that what I wanted was freedom and flexibility. And I also knew that having grown up in a family where having credit card debt was normal and getting a Christmas bonus was counted on so that we could pay off said credit card debt, mm. I knew that freedom and flexibility was not something that my parents had ultimately. And it was something that I wanted. So when my wife and I you know, were on this debt payoff path and uh, candidly, when we were done with it, you know, 25 months into our marriage, we had like $3,000 a month in discretionary money. And when you're 26 and you have an extra three grand a month, it feels like you're a millionaire. Oh, yeah. you know? <laughs> so, so I, I wanted other people to experience the freedom. And ultimately my mission behind everything I'm doing now is I want you to free yourself to be yourself. Mm. And that's why we're doing what we do. Oh, I love that. You know, you have a, a quote on your website that says, when you have financial freedom, you also have the, the freedom of relationships, freedom of service. Um, it just went on and it really hit me. It, stru it struck a chord. I think I'm slaughtering that, so I'll have you do it. Um, but it really struck a chord with me because uh, relationship freedom, time freedom, service freedom. I mean, these are things that people don't realize why it's so important to understand money and what it can really do for you when you have those things. And it just, it made me think about all of the people that I know who are, they kind of say, you know, they're stuck in a relationship or they can't leave, or this is how life is because they don't have this freedom. This is just how it is for them. So, um, how do we rewrite that story? What are you, what do you find the most that you hear? What's the story that you hear the most around money with people first? Well, I think the story is that as you alluded to, they're stuck in their present situation because of their belongings, their possessions, mm -hmm. which we get possessions because we believe that's what makes us happy, oh, man. I think initially. And I, I don't know if you recall this, but we, when we went to train the trainer with Jack Canfield, Jack made a comment and he said, you know, when you first get started in life, all you want is stuff, yeah. like stuff's important. And then, and then you start making money and you're like, now I want better stuff. Mm. So you go out and you buy better stuff. It's more expensive stuff. And then once you have all the expensive stuff, you're like, now I just want different stuff. Like I don't want the more, or maybe I still want more expensive stuff. I just want it to be different. And then after a while, you're like, I don't want any of this stuff. I just want significance in my life. Mm -hmm. And I found that there's a number of people that I've talked to when I ask the question, what do you most want to do? And they'll tell me things like, I want to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I want to dig wells in Africa. I want to spend a, a, a two months out of my year in Italy you know, off the coast, of the, off the Amalfi coast. Mm. And when I say, well, why don't you go do that? And they go, well, it's, it's not that simple. And I'm like, sure, it can be. What, what's keeping you? Well, I just bought a new couch the other day and I have these payments that I'm going to have to pay for the next, you know, mm. X number of months. <laughs> and it's like, okay, time out. There's a saying, and I don't remember if it was Mark Twain or somebody that said, um, you know, show me a person's checkbook and I'll show you their priorities. Mm. 
And I think we've, we've sort of misinterpreted maybe what we are trying to build. And I want us to get back to the point of understanding that we work for a reason. Our money should work harder than we do. And that ultimately I want you to build a bigger life, not a bigger lifestyle. Mm, love that. So I know you have a book, The Money Savvy Student. So can you tell me a little bit about where that came from and what are the key kind of philosophies or steps in there? Yeah. So my background, you know, obviously has been in, in the education space. I've done a lot of programming on college campuses over the past 12 years. I've been on 700 different college campuses and everywhere from Florida state university on the East coast to the university of spoiled children in your neck of the woods. (laughs) And, uh, and, and every single one of those schools, I would meet students who, when I asked the question, how much do you have in student loan debt? They gave me this, this deer in the headlight stare. They had no clue, mm. couldn't answer the question. And I'd ask them, well, do you have any idea what your payments will be when you graduate? And again, no clue. Their guesses range from $100 a month to $1,200 a month. Mm. And so I wrote The Money Savvy Student, namely as... Uh, a way to get this book into the hands of high school classrooms. And I want the, the book to be used as a supplemental curriculum because I wrote it in a way that, you know, even eighth graders are going to pick it up and read it and get a lot out of it. And the main, you know, the main priorities are things that I've, I've tried to impart on my kids. And they're things like, you are expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, most kids have no clue how expensive they are. And in the book, I tell a story about a teacher in a Dallas classroom that, had their students uh, write down everything that they were wearing that day and then assign a a cash value to it. And then he said, now I want you to figure out how much do your glasses cost? How much do your braces cost? How much do your extracurricular sporting events cost? And add all these numbers up and then multiply all that times the number of times you've been involved and see literally how much it costs your parents to raise you. And I think the, the key to that is that you know, in society today, I think we we have sort of taken on this approach where we have to protect children from all of those nasty financial decisions that need to be made. And then what happens is we release them into the world at 18, and the first thing they do is get a $1,000 pre-approved credit card and have rampant access to private student loans at 11%. And they make terrible decisions because they've never been able to make small decisions. They've they've never been able to make failures or or have failures on a small basis and be instructed by their parents. Mm -hmm. And so that ultimately is kind of in a nutshell what the book is all about and just helping students understand what they truly need to know. Oh, that is huge. You're literally bringing me back to when I turned 18, like the day I turned 18 and moved out and... (laughs) discovered that all of these stores wanted to give me money. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I literally racked up so much credit card debt at the time for me, it was overwhelming. You know, it was probably a few thousand dollars, but here I am 18 with a job that's not remotely paying me that much and, um, credit card debt. And I remember thinking I was upset with these credit card companies because I didn't understand, you know, I, I didn't think about the consequence. I didn't understand that there would be consequences to this. I just thought that, you know, I I would figure it out, I guess. I guess that was my mentality behind it. But looking back, I had zero um, experience managing money whatsoever. 
So that is huge to, to be, how do we do that without, you know, cause I think some people might be worrying about, well, how do we get kids to learn about money, but without maybe the fear that they have around it? Because I think what happens is we just think that we're going to be putting that fear or worry onto our kids. So how do we do that responsibly? That's a great question. I mean, I, I think the analogy that I could give is, is if your child wanted to surf, that was the one thing they wanted to do is just go out and surf you'd probably say, well, first you have to learn how to swim. I'm not just going to put you out in the ocean without teaching you how to swim first. And yet we still do that as parents. We send our kids out into the world having never taught them to swim and they're expected to surf in the real world from a financial perspective. So here's how we do it. We begin, and this is kind of the framework that I use in the course that I'm, I'm launching here called Raising Money Savvy Kids. The framework is essentially that financial decisions need to be pushed down to the, to the kid's level. And, and I'm not saying huge ones, like uh, you're not gonna ask your eight-year-old if you should buy a whole life insurance policy or a term policy, that's not the intent. But if your child is getting an allowance and there are certain parameters put around that allowance in terms of what they buy versus what you buy, um, the young you know children as young as five years of age will begin to figure out that there are consequences to spending money, to saving money, to uh, the fact that money can be finite, you know, like as in, well, you spent all your allowance last week at Target. So I know you want that today, but you're going to have to save it until next week mm. in order to get it. Um, and, you know, m- many parents, I won't say most, but many parents would say, oh, yeah, go ahead, throw it in the cart. And the reality is that, uh, and I don't remember who, who came up with this, I think it was the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, said the average cost to raise a child from zero to 18 is upwards of $300,000. And when you consider all the other factors out there, such as uh, a a massive amount of Americans are not prepared for retirement. And I think it's like three in 10 Americans don't even have $1,000 in a savings account. So, you know, you look at those kind of statistics and part of the reason is we're we're spending money on kids that we don't have, number one. Number two, we're not teaching them the habits that they need to learn early on so that they do have money when they get to be, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of age. And, um, and ultimately, it all just boils back down to are we giving them the basics? It's blocking and tackling. And I think that boils down to, you know, give your kid an allowance every single week and make them pay for stuff. Mm. Oh, my God. Gosh, it's so it's so simple, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, it, you know, when you do it all at once, if you're not doing it at a young age, um, you said something really interesting. Is it's really money is a habit. So it's like when people try to. I'm just equating it to something that's right in the front of my mind with a lot of people who understand, especially this time of year. It's like working out, if you try to do everything or lose weight all at once, it's like, oh my God, you have to learn the food. You have to learn the timing. You have to learn, you know, what's good for you. What's not what you should be doing in the gym. It it can be really overwhelming, but if they learn at a young age and it's a habit, it's something that is so second nature nature. It's just a part of you. So even if you do screw up, you can kind of go back to those, um, you know, those essential habit think those things that you learned in order to be able to get yourself out of maybe whatever you're in. So that is so huge. So tell me about, I was reading a little bit about what you do with your kids allowance and it's so brilliant. Could you share that with us? Yeah, for sure. We, it, it, this, it's actually kind of a funny story because 
I did a, a TED talk at the London Business School uh, two years ago, and the the premise of the talk was I had been playing Monopoly with my kids and was noticing that they were playing just slightly outside of the rules of the game, <laughs> and they were doing things like buying each other out of jail. And they were loaning each other money to buy properties. And, you know, it was very socialistic. And I, I appreciated how nice they were. Yes. Uh, it, it's like if Bernie Sanders were here, he'd have been super proud of my kids and how they were playing. Yeah. What's your kids' numbers in case I ever end up in jail? Right. They would totally <laughs> bail you out too, and have the money to do so. Um, but they, um, I said, guys, how come you're playing this way? I'm just curious because our games were taking four and five hours. You know, mm -hmm. it was just a long, long game. And they're like, well, you just want them to be on the board with us, dad. And then I'm looking around and I was kind of watching how they were making decisions and listening to their banter. And it made, made me wonder, I wonder if they're playing this way because the money isn't real. Mm. And what if the money were real? Would they play differently? And so I went to my credit union on a Friday afternoon and having figured out how much I would need on the board at any one time, and I pulled out $10,000. Actually, I pulled out $9,990 because you have to fill out a whole bunch of paperwork at ten grand. <laughs> yeah. So I pulled that out in all the denominations of bills that you would find on a Monopoly board, with the exception of a $500 bill. And, um, and then Sunday morning, we played a high-stakes game of Monopoly. And interestingly, the kids played differently. Mm. My, my boys both played differently. Um, one played much more conservatively where before he would buy everything that he landed on, if he had the money or not. And afterwards, when he had money in front of him, he was looking ahead at how many spaces did his brother own and how many properties were on them and how much would he owe? Did he have that in front of him? It was really interesting to watch him do that. Mm. And, um, and so from that exercise, uh, I decided that one of the things we would do is begin pushing financial decision-making down to our kids. So they each got an allowance and it was a weekly amount. They get a dollar per year of age per week. So my 13 year old gets $13 a week. My 11 year old gets $11 a week and they're responsible for certain things. And we have rules and structure around that and they know what they spend money on and what we'll spend money on. And oftentimes, and this last weekend is a great example, Lori, if you don't mind me telling the story. Mm, love it. Um, my daughter came into my bedroom, uh, and my wife, I think had gone off to the gym and I was laying there reading a book or something on Sunday morning. And, and, uh, Piper said, dad, can we go get donuts? And I said, well, I'll fly if you buy. And she goes, what do you mean by that? And I said, I'll drive you, but you're going to buy, you're going to pay for them. If you want donuts, I'm happy to take you over there. And so she's like, okay, let's do it. So we get in the car and we drive over to a local convenience store that sells donuts. And, and I said, Hey, while you're in there, get me one. And I gave her a, a couple bucks. So she and my son go in to buy donuts and they came out with half a dozen and there were only three of us. And I said, guys, I'm curious, why did you buy six? And Piper said, Oh, it was a better deal, dad. It's cheaper to buy half a dozen than it is to buy three individuals. So we just bought six and then we'll freeze them. And they would not have done that had I paid. Um, they wouldn't have learned it. They wouldn't have figured that out. They wouldn't know how much donuts cost. They would have said, hey, can we get strawberry quick or can we get a hot chocolate or what? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. And it'd be another 12 or $15. Mm. And instead, they make these decisions. And I said, how come you didn't get anything to drink? My son says, because we can make hot chocolate at home for free. <laughs> now, 
some people will say, oh, you're just, you're raising a bunch of misers, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. They're, they're conscious mm -hmm. of their money. And most kids are totally unconscious about money because it's not their money. But when it's your kids' money and they're spending it, they're conscious of it. And they make great decisions. And you, when you start to watch it, it is like magic mm. because the kids save, they want to invest, they understand. My daughter gives to Compassion International and she's sponsored a, a little girl in a third world country for the last three years. I mean, that kind of stuff does something to you when you see your kids doing it. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, it, it, it also clearly helps them understand uh, value because <laughs> I'm out in LA. So I have, I'm, I come from the Midwest and now being out in LA, it's like, I really do look around and see some of these, you know, it's like 16 year olds driving Ferraris for real. And I'm like, yeah. they don't even understand the value of th that vehicle and what other people in the world, how they view that they have no right. idea. So then you see them treating it so poorly or treating all of these things. You know, I see all of these girls with, Coco Chanel purses that are, you know, $10,000 for a bag that they chuck on the ground. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they have no idea the value of what they have because they've never been, they have never been taught. They have no clue. It's just expected. So it goes to show just how much value when it's something that they are actually buying and they value and they take care of. So do you see that as well, like with different things in their life? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, when it was us buying stuff, they would have lots of requests and, and it was, I want this. Can I get this? <clears throat> and then when we laid down the law and just said, Hey, listen, if you want big items, let us know. We'll take it into account. We'll plan for a birthday or a holiday. Um, there are moments where we spring stuff on them and they, they're unbelievably grateful for those things. And, and otherwise we're like, but here's how much it is and here's how much you'd have to save over X amount of days. Mm. Or, you know, my daughter's now babysitting and she'll understand I need to get X number of babysitting days. So she's got business cards printed and, you know, cause she knows she's got to hustle if mm. she wants that stuff. Mm. And, um, and ultimately what it is, I think is almost enabling that, enabling them or empowering them, not enabling, but empowering them for the responsibility that having money gives you. You know, when you have money, you have responsibilities. And when you don't have money, you have no responsibilities. There's no consequences. There's no ramifications of your actions. It's just, it's not your money. It's my money, right? Mm -hmm. So you do a 10, 10, 10, 70 rule. Um, can you explain that? You bet. So when we started, um, you know, one of our goals was we wanted to foster a savings habit, an investment habit, and a giving habit. Mm -hmm. And we use the 10-10-70 rule. So 10% of their allowance goes to savings, 10% goes to investing, and 10% goes to giving. And then the other 70% is theirs to spend as they see fit. So the savings jar is sort of, it's sort of a long-term savings. And we usually say, what are you saving for? And they'll say, well, I don't really know. I don't have anything in mind. Um, the invest jar, we have something called the family 401k plan where I will double whatever they have in their invest jar up to a certain amount every month. And um, usually it's more than what it, it's it's right up to or a little more than what they get in their allowance. So if they have money set aside, I've sort of incentivized them to actually put that money in the invest account. And that goes into a stock trading fund that they buy dividend paying stocks that I've told them you're going to hold this for as long as humanly possible. And here's why. And, you know, ultimately they my middle son especially understands the idea that 
his money is making money. Hmm. The other two aren't quite at the same level as he is, but he's wanting to know, you know, how much did my Microsoft stock pay this quarter, dad? How much did I make on that? Mm. And, you know, what's cool about that is I would love for him at 18 to have a, a robust financial account that pays him a thousand or 1500 bucks a month in, in, you know, passive income, just investment income that if he wanted to go live on that, he could, you know, that's, that's his prerogative. That's so, so great because it's, again, it's just building these habits of, okay, I make this money, I always give this amount or I make this money, I save this amount, I invest this amount. amount. So do you notice just like maybe on giving days or save or the days that you guys really, you know, put this money into different areas, do you notice just maybe some pride with them or what, what is something that you notice maybe with how they're carrying themselves or how they're speaking, um, you know, in their lives? They're, they're much more inquisitive about the cost of things. And when we talk about, you know, we go to the store and I'll say, Hey, quick teachable moment here, guys, how much do you think? Blah, 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 blah. And then I'll get guesses and we make it a game. Right. Mm -hmm. But the whole time I'm thinking, I want them to know this. I, when we go to the grocery store, I want them to know how much we just spent because I want them to have in mind as they get older that, you know, Oh, I have 20 bucks. I'll be able to get a week's worth of groceries. No, you won't you'll be able to get two days worth of groceries. And um, so there is a pride. Uh, there's definitely a curiosity. And it's cool to watch them go in and decide on a bigger ticket item. And my boys are big into Nerf guns right now. So <laughs> I don't know if you've been around Nerf guns lately, Lori, but you, can buy, <laughs> you can buy 50 or $75 Nerf guns these days. And when we go in and I'll say, well, how often do you think you're going to use that? Uh, a lot, dad. I'm like, okay, well, if you're going to use a lot and you divide the number of uses into how much it costs, your per use cost is probably going to be about what? And they might need to figure it out on their phone and so two of them can do it in their head. And uh, I'm like, if you think that's worth it, do it. Hmm. And, and then they'll think about it and they'll walk around and they'll put it in a cart and take it around a little bit. And then they're like, you know what? I'm going to wait because <laughs> I, I think I might find, I might find a better deal on Amazon. <laughs> how, how many kids do that? You know, so it's it's just cool to watch. And I think what we're doing is we're, we're raising really savvy consumers that ultimately when it's time for them to go to college, they're going to look at how much does this school cost versus this school. Um, you know, I think I can get I can get you know 30 hours or 60 hours of credit before I even leave high school. That'll save me another 40 or 60 grand. You know, so they're they're thinking about that, which I think is important. You know, that's, it's so important because I'm looking back and I'm thinking about what a, you know, and of course it's, it's all beautiful and divine and I'm glad I had these lessons. But when I basically stepped out into the world, it was like, it was such a shock to me that I probably spent the first two years thinking, how do, does anyone survive? And it, including myself. So I think if I was younger and I knew some of these things, I would start thinking more creatively. I think I would expand my vision, to be honest with you, because when you don't actually understand, you know, what it does cost, you don't need to think that big. So I think that, you know, what you're really doing is just expanding what's possible as well and giving them the tools for that. So what do you, what do you see possible with conscious children? Like, what do you see happening uh, with people who go through this course, raising money, savvy kids? Selfishly, you know, part of my goal in this is uh, I, I want to create a Rockefeller type fortune in my family. Mm. 
And uh, the reason I want to do that is so that we can give back on massive, massive levels. Mm -hmm. And I read, uh, I read in a book one time that it takes two generations to create a Rockefeller type fortune. And so you have to decide, are you generation one or are you lucky enough to be generation two? Mm -hmm. And I believe that I am generation one and I am preparing my kids to take on the fortunes that we're creating. But if I don't, you know, it's studies have shown that most generational wealth is gone by the third generation because they, they haven't passed down, not, not the ability to make, but the ability to manage and the ability to, uh, you know, tend and steward the money well. And that, in my mind, that's what I'm doing with my kids. And, and hopefully through the course, what we're teaching other people to do is, um, A, I want you to retire with dignity. And it scares the crap out of me right now, the number of Americans that cannot retire with dignity. I mean, we, we, if you look at what's going on societally and governmentally and in our economy today with the amount of, of overall government debt, to think that our social security system will be completely intact in the next 20 years is, it's foolish. And, um, but what I want to do is I want to help people understand that it's possible to create the kind of life that you want financially. You just have to take maybe some different steps. And one of those is with your kids who will be one of your greatest expenses in life. This is so, that is so huge because I'm seeing it with my parents right now. Honestly, it's one of my biggest drivers for not only learning this for my future children who are not born yet, um, <laughs> but I will need to know it, um, but just for everybody to learn because it is not fun for the child to watch their parents go through it. It's not fun for the parents to watch their children go through it. Um, so it is, it's such a responsibility. It's, it's as big as making sure they understand how to be healthy because without it, you're not healthy, right? You're, you're struggling, your mindset, your stress. What are some of the, um, if you have some amazing, uh, transformations that you'd be willing to share money transformations? We've had a bunch. I mean, uh, you know, the, the stories are numerous and we're starting to do a lot more financial coaching, uh, through moneysavvy.com, people are finding us and asking us, will, you know, will you just go through my finances and help mm -hmm. us figure out what to do and where to, uh, how to pay down debt as an example, or where to put investments or whatever it may be. And, um, the one that comes to mind is a very close friend of mine had a massive house. Um, he was living in the suburbs of Chicago and I'm sure had a six or $700,000 home. The taxes alone on the house were probably 20 grand a year. And they had $50,000 in credit card debt because their fun weekend um, plans involved going to Target. And they would wander around Target and they'd pick up DVDs and they'd get clothes or they'd get stuff for the house or whatever it was. And not realizing it, they'd drop three, four, five hundred $500 every single weekend at Target and put it on a credit card. And when we started, uh, when we really started diving deep into what they were doing, the issue was one of them had gotten downsized and the conversation went something like, we're going to drown in our own debt if we don't do something drastic. And I, and it was one of those moments where I could kind of see the panic in their eyes that they finally realized the error of their ways when the smoke finally cleared and they realized they were facing a firing line mm -hmm. and the firing line was six credit cards, each with, you know, 8,000 or more in debt. Um, they had a massive mortgage, they had a, a tax bill coming due and what they opted to do was downsize 
in a massive way, begin selling off a bunch of the possessions that they thought were who they were. And it, it, as a matter of fact, it was just kind of what they had. It, it had n- nothing to do with who they were as people. It was just their stuff. Mm. And within two years, they had paid off all of their credit card debt. Um, the wife then decided to stay home with kids because before they were all going to daycare, which was another added expense. So they downsized. She stays home. No more credit card debt. He got a promotion in a smaller town. Um, didn't have the long commute within the city. And at the end of it, he said, you know, what's amazing is I feel like we all got our lives back. Mm. It felt like we were we were chasing some animal that we thought we wanted, but it was actually, it was chasing us. Mm. And, um, you know, when I hear those kinds of stories, it's awesome. Because what it is, and it goes back to what you said earlier that you saw on the website, it's the four legacies. Financial freedom leads to time freedom. When you have money, you have time. Time freedom leads to relationship freedom. When you have time, um, you spend that time with people you want to spend time with, not those you have to spend time with at work. And then relationship freedom leads to service freedom. So he and his wife volunteered at the church and they, um, you know, she rocked babies at the hospital and, you know, they did stuff they wanted to do, not the stuff they had to do. Mm. And it was just, uh, yeah, it was kind of an awesome turnabout story. You know, I, I love talking about money because it is such a huge part of our lives. And I think so many of us have a lot of different emotional feelings and our identity tied to money. And when you can free someone of that, it's amazing how you're what you truly desire and who we really are at the core um, of our soul is able to come through. And a lot of times we don't even realize who we are or what we really desire because it's just covered with all these different ideas and maybe all of this fear and maybe all these stories. So if somebody is perhaps, um, you know, maybe someone's really in debt or they have massive fear around what it's going to look like or take in order to make that transformation. What are some things that you tell those people to start being able to, um, transform into this new lifestyle in order to pay off debt? It's a great question. One of the first things I would do, and you allude to it all the time on your podcast, but it's, it's sort of the self work it is the deep uh, introspection that it takes to figure out what do you truly value and do your belongings actually echo that value or is it something else completely? Um, and I'll give you a great example. I, we live in a fairly affluent neighborhood. Um, there's a lot of people around us. Matter of fact, most of my neighbors are surgeons or they're um, uh, business owners, one's a CFO of a major hospital. You know, they all they all have these really high end jobs. Um, many of them are driving luxury cars. And at some point, um, I've talked to one of them in particular who said uh, he came out, he pulled into his driveway, was pulling up his garbage can or something. And I asked him how his night was going. And he's like, oh, I got to go in and do charts for four hours. Mm. And it's like, do you do you want to do that? Do you enjoy doing that? Or is that now just part of your life because you've built this gigantic lifestyle that that's what you have to do? in order to support it. Um, and, and so in answer to your question, I think that introspection is the first step and it's really figuring out in the massive list of values, what are your top five? Mm. And if you're not living those top five values, what is keeping you from that? Is it your car payment? Is it your house payment? Is it the job that you're in? Isn't exactly what you want to do? 
Um, and so you're, you're going to work frustrated. I mean, what, what exactly is keeping you from living to your highest value? And, and I think the name of your podcast is so, you know, aptly named earn your happy because you do have to earn it. You have to figure out what makes you happy and then work towards that. Mm. And in some cases that may mean taking a close look at your closet, your shoe collection, your car, your whatever, or your motivation and how you're making money and what you can do differently. You know, mm. it's so interesting. I am being transported right back to this uh, point in my life where, um, you know, Chris's job was doing really well. I was probably 26 years old and, you know, we, we had more money than we knew what to do with at a really young age when we first got married. Um, and very quickly, the mortgage industry plummeted in two, 2007. Yep. And I remember pulling up, our, our bills were overwhelming. The house, this house that we moved into, four bedrooms for two people, um, just this gigantic home. And I remember pulling up into the driveway when things started to go south with his job and I just felt sick. I was like, how did I think this was me? And it's not even that it was, it's a bad thing to have that carrot or if that's what you eventually want, but it was the only thing that I could see for a while. And yeah. that really made us, it was like, I remember we took a walk, we would take walks like every single night after that to try to go, what do we really want? What are we going to do? Like we just, we had no idea what we were going to do. And that was huge. We just literally said, I want experiences. I want to do what I love every single day. And we had to write down what that was and get so clear on it and what we were willing to do to get there. And it's so crazy because you know, once you figure that out, all of these other beautiful things come as a side effect of you following that. So how do you paint that picture for people? Is there a way that you can kind of, you know, because I felt a lot of shame around having things in that moment. Yeah. But do you know what I'm trying to ask? Like, how do you paint that picture of, it's not shameful to desire things, but while you're trying to get out of debt, you might have to do some things that, you know, you might have to, as Dave Ramsey says, um, live like no other so you can live like no other. Yeah. I agree. And, and I don't think there's any shame in wanting or, or, um, having really nice things in your life. I mean, we do, I, I love, I love my house. I love where I'm at, but I will say that the decision that we made to be where we're at was a matter of, um, getting there. There was a journey to get there. And I think some people circumvent the journey because a banker or a mortgage broker says, Oh, for sure. You can totally afford that. And, and we do it before we actually can. So how do you do it if you're in that situation? I think you, you stated it marvelously. It's what are you willing to do? What do you like, what actions are you willing to take in order to get there? And I'll give you a great example. There's a, a young lady that I counseled who came out of, um, chiropractic school and she has $200,000 in student loans and she's making $65,000 a year as a hired chiropractor in an office. And she said, I don't have enough money to, to open my own practice. And I said, okay, well, do you want to do that someday? She said, absolutely. And I said, what are you willing to do in order to get there? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, let's look at your expenses. What do you have? And so she laid out her monthly bills and what she spent. And, and this, I thought this was really interesting, Lori. She, she um, basically assumed that she was spending about $800 a month in food between groceries and eating out. Mm. And when I went through three months of bank statements with her, her average spend on food or, and or dining was almost $1,700 a month. Wow. And I said, so you're, you actually could be there. 
you know, you, you could create the situation that would allow you to start your own practice, but you're unwilling to cut back right now, as it seems, on eating out or shopping at Whole Foods or whatever you think is important to you right now. And, and all that means really is that the dream itself doesn't have enough leverage as reality does. And reality is I like organic foods and I like to, you know, have fine dining every now and again. Mm -hmm. Um, and because that's, has more leverage than your dream does, it wins. Mm. And so what I tend to do with people who are in that situation is say, take me five years out from today. And I want you to imagine that, that you have everything you could ever imagine. What does that look like? What does it feel like? Um, tell me about your life. Tell me about the things around you. What is your lifestyle like? What's an ideal week look like? And they give me that. And I go, does it feel good? Yeah, it does. Okay, now let me take you five years out from where you're at today. And I paint this horrible picture about a broken home and bankruptcy and foreclosure. And, and I create serious leverage. And they go, I really like the other one. Mm. And I go, okay, well, if you continue down this path, the one I gave you is probably more likely to occur than the one that you gave me unless you make some changes. So what are you willing to do to get to your vision, not my vision? Wow. I can't even tell you how powerful that is because I think that that is one of um, the unique things that I've always been able to do is see the good in what the vision is, but also see what will happen if I continue on that path. Um, and that's been some really good motivation is to get really real with what does five years look like if you continue on with what you're doing? And are you going to be okay with that? Because, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, our choices every single day make up our life. And that was one thing that Chris and I did. You're just, it, it's, it's so incredible is just to look at, we were like, you know what? We can give up weekends for three years. Like we can do this. We can give up weekends. We yep. can pay up all, all our debt and we can live this dream life. And um, looking back, sometimes I don't even understand how I did it because that became a habit. Like being willing to do what other people are not willing to do. So tell me about this raising money savvy kids course. And, um, um, I don't know, tell me everything about it. How can we enroll? Yeah. So the course will live at moneysavvy.com, which is, uh, two V's M O N E Y S A V V Y.com forward slash parent webinar. And if you sign up for the webinar, we'll walk you through the framework a few of the rules, basically the, the reasoning behind we created the, the reasons why we created the program in the first place. Mm. And, um, and from there you can sign up. It's a video based course. It's several hours worth of video based training, but it's all broken down into bite sized nuggets. So you can watch it in eight or 10 minute sequences. And whether that means you're cooking dinner and you've got it on your iPad and you're watching it that way, or you decide to do a marathon day on a Saturday and take it all in, it's totally up to you. It's great for kids ages five through 17. And I won't say that kids over 17 can't benefit, but I will say that habits begin to be formed at that late teenage level. And once they go off to school, they're not really under your watchful eye. So it's easier to influence them when they're in that five to 17 age bracket. Um, but I will tell you, Lori, my kids are my guinea pigs and I have <laughs> dozens of families who are doing the same thing that I used as test case, test cases mm -hmm. and the feedback and the results have been miraculous. I mean, just mm -hmm. they're like, I am, it blows my mind how simple it is and yet how effective it is when it's done well. Mm -hmm. 
And that's really the key to the course is we give you all of the particulars, the rules, the guidelines, the agreements, if you want to sign them with your kids, contracts around lending and borrowing money. I mean, everything is spelled out because guess what? That's what they're going to have to deal with when they leave your house. Mm-hmm. What do you think the parents are getting out of it? Uh, you know, honestly, their wallets are fat, fattened a little bit because they're not spending as much on their kids. Mm. And, and that's been a big one is, is the ability to say no and to say, no, you have money. If you want to buy it, go ahead. Mm. And they're like, oh, no, I'm good. Wow. And um, so we, we found that we have more money. My kids have more money in their investment accounts. We have more money in 529 plans. I mean, it's just flat out. There's not this desire to spend, 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 spend. It's like, oh, no, we're good conserving because saving is fun, too. You know, it's so beautiful, too, because you're getting them all in together on something. Like, you're all going in together and learning about something, and it's this collective idea that way. So it's not just like, no, you can't have that, and you they don't understand why. It's really this beautiful, they feel like they're working towards something. Like, I'm getting excited about it, and I don't have children. But I have plenty <laughs> of friends that do that I know are going to be in love with this. So I'm so grateful um, that you're doing this. So what's the best advice around saving money that you have ever gotten? Um, you know, it's an interesting one. And this is one that I'm going to write about in detail on moneysavvy.com. I believe that most people, their income is inefficient. And here's what I mean by that. We make, you know, most people, they make money, they go out and do their corporate chores and they get their corporate allowance. And, um, and then it goes into a checking account and they pay all their bills and anything that's left over ideally either goes to saving, goes to investing, or it's spent. And that's, that's just the, the God's honest truth. It's just gone. And realistically, your income should do a number of things. It should, it should pay your expenses. It should eliminate or erase debt. It should build wealth and it should do good. And, and in there, you could have have fun, have fun and do good, I think, are two kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. But for most people, their income does two things. It pays expenses and they have fun. And those are the only two things they do with it. And that's part of the reason that we are growing up to be, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old and not prepared for retirement is because for 50 years, our income's been inefficient. Mm-hmm. And so I teach people how to create efficiency with their income, where they're not only paying down debt, they're building investment accounts, their money works harder than they do, and it feels like they have all the money in the world. Mm. And it is an awesome, awesome thing. Yes. So let's say, um, you know, I'm, I'm part of a, um, a, a couple, and I listen to this podcast, and I'm all fired up, and I have all this debt, but I'm super excited to start paying it down. How do I have these conversations with my family to start talking about getting in on savings? It definitely is a couple conversation. I mean, there's no question or, or and or family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we were, I think we were fortunate in the fact that my wife, Jen and I had had those conversations early on and we knew where we each stood when it came to money. Um, so when our kids came into the picture, we just, you know, naturally enveloped them into those conversations. I think for someone who's kind of starting from square one, it's really sitting down again and figuring out, Hey, what are our goals? What do we want as a family? And, and, and that's everything from how much, how much should we pay for college? Like, is that on us or is that on the kids? Um, and, and when you look at college costs today, most parents will not get away from 
either paying for it or co-signing on a loan, which ultimately means they'll probably be on the hook for some of it anyway. Um, so figuring out those kind of answers and deciding how big of a house payment do we really want? And do we need five or six bedrooms when there's the four of us or can we get by on less? And what does that mean in terms of school district and, and how much time do we want on the weekends and all those things and begin the process of just dreaming. And then the next step is, okay, now how do we make this happen? And as you do that as a family, it's really cool when everyone's on board. I mean, one of the things for us, and we've talked to the kids about this, is I've always had a dream of living for two months in Italy on the Amalfi Coast and having a villa and just, we're going to go over there in the summers and just chill, get a Euro rail pass and have fun. Um, yes. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have slated for the summer of 2018 to go do that. My kids know it mm-hmm. and they're excited about it and they know that's what we uh, you know, arrange our lives around some of those kinds of trips and they're cool with that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, make it a family event, but it definitely is at the very least, both couples need to be in on it. And, uh, you know, I'd say in an ideal case, kids and two kids included too. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Um, okay. So I know that you talked about, um, you know, Rockefeller type of legacy and what that, what that really means to, um, you know, have to break all of those different glass ceilings that we don't even realize that are there around beliefs, right? So as you notice that you're uh, reaching maybe the next level in income, do you ever find that you are kind of feeling like you're maxed out at a certain pot, a spot or that's kind of where your financial thermostat needs to be reset? And what are the things that come up that kind of block you when you're like, whoa, how am I going to go to the next level? Oh man, that is such a, such a huge question. Um, and you clearly know all about the financial (laughs) thermostat and the secrets of the millionaire mind and all of that. Um, we do, we have a financial thermostat that's set for most people. And I think it was Jack Canfield at an event I I went to with he and Mark Victor Hansen, where they said, write down the number that you'd like to make. Mm. And so everyone wrote down that number and they said, now add a zero to it. Mm. What does that do to you? And most people are like, impossible, can't do it. No way. That's your money mindset. Mm. And yet, are there people making that kind of money? Absolutely. I mean, when, and here's the thing for me, and, and hopefully your listeners take some stock in this. Um, are you a Snapchatter? Yes. Okay. So <laughs> Evan Spiegel, who started Snapchat, um, who's now 24, I believe, um, oh God. you know, 11 years ago, he was my daughter's age, 11 years ago. <laughs> He's 24. He's worth $3 billion or $4 billion. Mm. Tell me that it's not possible to make any amount of money you want to in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is put in the time. And, and you, you know, referred to uh, Dave Ramsey's whole live like no one else. I have a saying that if you do for two years, what most people won't do, you can do for the rest of your life, what most people can't do. Wow. And it's two years, you and you and your husband did it for, for three years. Mm -hmm. If we give up weekends, you know, and Chris was willing to do it, right. Mm -hmm. Give up weekends for three years and now who wouldn't give their right arm to live the way that Lori and Chris Harder do? Come on. Mm. Mm. Thank you for that. And, and really, it's just um, like you said, you were talking about having those conversations. It took a lot of conversations. It was like a lot of self-work, a lot of conversations to get there. And I know that's, that's clearly what you and your family do. And I, you know, I so look up to people with children who are raising just really conscious children because I can't imagine 
what they are going to be able to do in this world with that awareness and already with that, um, those ideas of giving back. How exciting, you know, how exciting is that? So beautiful. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I got three pretty amazing kids. I'm not going to lie. (laughs) So any last advice to new entrepreneurs? Because I know we have so many people who want to either start a business or maybe are network marketers or want to work for themselves. Is there anything that you would tell them? Number one, I think one of the, 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 the allure to being an entrepreneur and doing your own thing is that, Hey, I get to make whatever I want, right? I can make as much as I want and it's all mine. Mm -hmm. I think where a lot of entrepreneurs fall down is they, they don't separate their finances into business and personal. Mm. And for us, that was a big, as simple as that sounds, that was a, that was a big marker for me to say, okay, I have a corporate account. And that corporate account pays my personal account a salary. And, and it felt like I had legitimized my business when I paid myself a salary every month. And what it also did was, for those of your listeners who are entrepreneurs that are married to someone that's like, hey, how much are you going to provide every month? I need to know because we have these bills to pay. It creates almost an evening effect when you say to your spouse, hey, listen, I will commit to... 2000, 5000, 10000 a month coming out of my business, whatever it may be. And then just stick with that number and you're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. But what I've done is I I have a uh, a line of credit that I know that I'm paying myself every 2 weeks. If the money isn't in my account, I'm drawing from that line of credit to make sure that the exact same amount of money is going into my personal account in my salary. And it creates just kind of an even there's not this panic like, oh my gosh, how are we going to make the house payment this month? There's not that at all. It's just this very even keel financial flow. And, and I would say one of the things that people want is sort of financial contentment. You can have it as an entrepreneur. You just have to organize your finances in a way that gives you that. Mm. That's beautiful. So you guys, I, you know that I'm a huge, I so believe in events. I believe in courses. I believe in finding your resources in your books. And um, Adam, your website alone is such an amazing goldmine of of tangible things you can do immediately, no matter who you are and what age you are. Uh, and that is moneysavvy.com, you guys. And also this course that he has coming out, I am beyond thrilled about. Um, I think it's so vital and it's so important. And even if you don't have kids, I guarantee we could probably take so much from it. Um, raising Money Savvy Kids, which you can... Uh, enroll in right now, which is in the show notes. So I am so thrilled about that. Adam, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today and acknowledge your incredible work in the world um, because what you're doing is truly so needed and so impactful. So thank you for all that you're doing. I know how hard you work. Oh, I appreciate you, Lori. I have to tell you, uh, both I, my wife, my assistant, all of us were doing your your workout for the new year. <laughs> That's and, awesome. uh, and so it, I feel like you and I are, are connected more than we probably are just over interviews like this, but um, you're coming into our house on the daily. So uh, I appreciate what you do and keep it up. Oh, I love hearing that. And you know I have a final question, right? Yes, lay it on me. Okay. So you are in an elevator. And it's a quick ride. It's like 30 seconds with somebody else, a total stranger. And they look over at you and they say, how can I make myself happy? What do you say? I say, 
this sounds super cheesy and simple. Free yourself. Free yourself to be yourself. Mm. Mm, I love it. It's so perfect. Thank you so much for coming on, Adam. And you guys, if you loved this episode as much as I did, make sure you share it. And until next time, earn your happy. Bye, everyone. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye. Want to know a huge secret to my success? Okay, not only my success, but just about every single person that I have interviewed on this podcast who is successful has this in common. You guys, they love to journal. They capture their life lessons and what they're grateful for. But a lot of people don't keep this up consistently. And most people do know that the research shows that journaling deepens your gratitude and increases self-awareness. But did you also know that journaling decreases stress and helps you achieve your goals faster? In fact, journaling is a huge differentiator between average performers at work and high-performing people. It leads to longer-term clarity, confidence, and success. So why don't more people journal? Why didn't I journal consistently? Honestly, they don't like staring at a blank page. It's hard to carry a book around with you or a notepad, and they just don't even know what to write about, or they just forget. That's why I know that you're going to love Growth Day. It's the world's number one system for self-improvement, and it's like all-in-one personal development in an app. And it has an awesome digital journal, and people love it. Growth Day's digital journal has hundreds of research-backed writing prompts for self-reflection, positive mindset, confidence building, and success. I use them all the time, and it makes me think in ways that I typically don't, and it makes me ask myself better questions, which we all know gets better results in our lives. It even has prompts that help you develop a daily, weekly, or monthly habit of reflecting on your life and identifying areas to grow. So it's a perfect time of year to start journaling, you guys. When you sign up at Growth Day, you also get systems for habit tracking, goal setting, and scoring and improving every area of your life. Best of all, I get to teach there too, you guys. I'm so excited. I hope that I get to see you. I teach live in Growth Day every single month with a new topic just for you. So join me there. Start your free trial at growthdate.com slash Lori. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. And I want to make sure that you have my phone number and I'm not kidding. Did you know that I have a community text number for real? My phone number is 310-496-8363. This goes directly to my phone. All you have to do is text the word daily to 310-496-8363. And I literally text you every single day, Monday through Friday. I actually just got done 30 seconds ago texting a bunch of people back. 
And I talk to you all of the time. You guys, people always ask me how I got my community text number and how it works. Well, all you have to do is you can just go to community.com and get your own. Community makes it easy to get a phone number that you can use to build your audience using text. People just text you at your number and they're added to your group. Then you can text them out audios, video links, anything you want. You guys, I text out happy birthday videos. I love to send podcast links, thoughts about life, book recommendations, uh, different events that I'm doing in the local area. Texting gets me out of the noise of social media and directly into your hand. And now you can start texting your people too. Just go to community.com to get your phone number. They give you a 10 digit real phone number, not those weird short codes that look like spam, but it's more than a phone number. Your new number comes with an inbox for SMS and texting. This means you can actually manage your text list from your computer and an app on your phone. You can schedule texts to send at certain times and to certain groups. You can even set up auto replies or let your assistant or customer service team answer your text messages via community's awesome dashboard. Just go to community.com and ask for a free demo. They'll show you how it works and get you your number. It's time to start texting your audience versus just posting on social media. Everyone uses community for that. So go check them out at community.com. I can tell you it's not just great for communicating with my audience, but Chris and I use community and our texts to also sell out our launches. I'm telling you, you get such an incredible response because you really are creating a true deep sense of community and it's so intimate. It's freaking amazing. Go check it out at community.com. Hey, do you know what the big secret is this year? And it shouldn't be a secret because this should be your biggest focus. It is building your community. I am always working on building and nurturing my community and everyone is talking about the power of community. Without an online community, you just cannot grow organically or create a real movement, which is what I know that we're all after. And you can build trust or monetize your audience. When you get community right, not only does your audience grow faster, but so do your sales. But where's everybody going to be managing their communities these days? And a lot of online entrepreneurs and thought leaders are turning to Circle.so. Circle is an all-in-one community platform. It lets you host content and create discussions, live streams, group chats, and memberships all under your own brand. And what's so cool about Circle.so is that you don't even need a website or Facebook group. Instead, Circle lets you build your own community site where you can host content and manage your members. You can even create locked and unlocked content spaces, groups, and classes. How freaking cool is that? You can put your content behind a paywall too, and you can charge different amounts of money for different spaces on your community site. Circle.so is famously easy to use, and it has a free 14-day trial for you, so you can go check it out, see if you like it, see if you love all the options. Just go to circle.so. Go check it out right now, you guys. Imagine being able to manage your community, start group chats and live classes, and accept payments all in one place. Kind of mind-blowing since this is usually spread all over the place. You have to log into so many different things. If this is the year to capture, organize, and monetize your community, head over to circle.so 
you can get a free trial and start building your online community right now. Just go to circle.so. You guys, you get the 14 day free trial. So just go and see if it's for you. It's going to streamline everything and make your life so much easier. It's so freaking cool.